0: What is up, Fantasyland? Welcome to a very special TGIF edition of the Goat District Live via the Player Profiler Network. It's Week Ten, and we know just how crucial these Ws are becoming as we approach the fantasy playoffs. That's why today we bring you one of the sharpest minds in Fantasyland. You know him from Four for Four, the most accurate podcast. John Dagle is here to help you make the right decisions and get your contenders. On the right track and towards a championship ending. So grab yourself a cold one, smash the like button, and let's get. Fish, 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 fish. What is up, Fantasyland? We're back in the district on a very special edition, a TGIF. Happy Friday to everyone. The weekend is here, and we know how crucial it is this time of year. Like I said in the intro, guys, week 10 is amongst us. We've already had one game in the books. We know how crucial these Ws are, so we're going to bring you the biggest, the baddest, and this man is none less. His name is John Daigle. You know him from Four for Four, the most accurate podcast, and BetSpurts. You've seen him in the district many times. We love having him, John. It's a pleasure and an honor to sit with you on this Friday afternoon, my friend.
2: I always love jumping on with the boys. Today, we are the boys. We're missing a couple names here, but that's fine. The point is still to help everyone out and get them ready for week 10, and we will do just that.
0: For sure, for sure. It's the, it's the double dose of JD. We've got the two JDs uh, yep. sent sit together. Unfortunately, Den's hunting. And Theo is is somewhere out there in Fantasyland. We all know he's he's working uh, as hard as anyone. If you've been watching the Goat District, you've got enough teams right now that are seven and two, eight and ones. We call them contenders. And the point of today is to help you make sure that your rosters, your contenders, are on the white, the right track towards a championship. And we're going to look at specific players. We're going to look at specific strategies. Before we get into it, guys, smash the like, smash the subscribe. Make sure you subscribe to the Goat District channel as well. We did a Thursday tailgate yesterday, every 12 noon Eastern on Thursdays. We do a deep dive into the Thursday night game, looking at lines, matchups, and player props. Make sure you check that out, John. Let's jump into it. Week nine. Well, we've got nine weeks behind us now. Not, you know, we don't need like a, a, a revolutionizing anything here, but what's one of the biggest lessons you've learned this year? I know for me, just the whole early QB thing is something I'm going to rethink. I know looking at my successful teams versus teams, and I'm talking redraft specifically, um, is there something so far this year that you've learned that has changed the direction or changed your mind on how you approach fantasy moving forward and as we get into next season even?
2: I usually get upset at myself about situations where... I understand the volatility of it, but don't take into account. Uh, This kind of goes into the mold of Tony Pollard uh, and me thinking Tony Pollard was a first round player and him just being such a big letdown. Same can be said for Travis Etienne, really. Although I really thought we, we had the breadcrumbs laid out for us in the preseason with Travis Etienne. It's just that, then, come the regular season, everyone else behind him failed to live up to their job, and now Travis Etienne is top two in the league and touches per game among all running backs. But really, for Tony Pollard, what it came down to was uh, basically being first-round Alexander Madison, right? It's like people were drafting Alexander Madison in the fourth, fifth round because they were fitting a player into a bucket he had never been in. It doesn't make sense at all. Like there's, there's probably a reason historically why Alexander Madison was never given 300 plus touches. And you could say because Dalvin cook was there, but that's what happened with chase Edmonds a couple years ago too. Whenever he signed with the dolphins, we don't need to be putting these players in these buckets. And Tony Pollard had never been that guy. And I just assume given how explosive he was in a limited role, it would then stay the same in a major role. And that clearly has not been the case. He'll probably be fine this week against the Giants, given game script. But overall, it's just another lesson that I faded Alexander Madison for that reason and got it right. Uh, Why was I jamming Tony Pollard into that range and missing out on CeeDee Lamb, Amonro St. Brown, those kind of guys? Instead, now it's coming back to bite me in the ass. So yeah, just that's I think is one of the bigger lessons of this year.
0: It's it's funny you say that because you I remember you coming on the show and we all kind of agreed with the Madison situation, but we were all kind of tricked by Pollard. And it's weird. Yeah. The parallel is is, you know, as you lay it out to me seems so simple, but you're talking about a four-round difference between these two guys coming into the season yeah. when they're being drafted, right? So I love that that you point that out. And and look, I mean that it's all about reflecting and getting better, right? And improving. And even the best of us, John, have to do that right as as we go through the season. Now before we get into specifics you do a great waiver wire article on four for four when we're looking at waiver wire because a lot of our audience obviously plays ffPC you and I actually had had the pleasure of, of meeting you this year uh, in September down in Vegas so waiver wire is very crucial especially these redraft teams where you can't trade you know your that's that's your limitation is waiver wire in order for you to mold your team throughout the season now have you found with you know the deep dive that you do is there a a trick or something worthy of giving our audience to help target the proper prospects when we look at a waiver wire and avoid those traps those duds or is it just a matter of like a lot of people say is you just take your cracks you hit and you, you, you hit you know you hope that one or two of them hit throughout the season but you're basically throwing you know what at the wall
2: it really just comes down to a case by case basis for everyone. And that's why it's always so hard writing the waiver wire because everyone's in a different situation. Everyone has different amount of fab. And so the, what I've told everyone is that I always just try to write it as if you can't ask me a question. It's like, what question are you going to ask me? And I'm going to try and eliminate that question here in this column every single week. For instance, like I even wrote about Antonio Gibson was dropped in some leagues uh, and Zach Charbonnet was still out there in some leagues, some shallower leagues. And so I just wrote, uh, I think Gibson is the better play this week. So he's ranked higher, but Charbonnet, I would stash if you're not planning on playing Gibson this week, because I think he's a better contingency player. And so I'll answer everything like that based on your own roster. It's a lot. Also like what everyone's dealing with, with, Michael Thomas, DeMario Douglas. These guys are 60 yard possession guys who do have a spot on some teams, but other teams are closer to dropping them because they just would never start them. DeMario Douglas hasn't reached 60 yards or a touchdown in any game. He's just a little possession receiver. Uh, I don't expect him to get there in this offense as a ceiling option, but Some people for bye weeks and injuries do need that 60 yards and five, six catches every single week. So it genuinely, it's just always universally a different answer based on your own roster. And I try to write the column like that. If I have a top-heavy one, I'm usually eyeing. What I do a lot of the time, I eye which backups are injured. I don't even care about the starter. I'm going to which backups are injured. And thus, that allows me to stash the direct backup if the starter becomes injured. Uh, That's kind of why I'm hoarding Matt Breida everywhere right now. Not that he would get there if Saquon Barkley got injured because the Giants are so damn bad, (laughs) but Eric Gray and uh, Gary Brightwell are both on injured reserve. And so Matt Breida is the only back. Like they have Deion Jackson, but Matt Breida would be a 15 touch guy. We saw that in the past if Saquon Barkley gets injured. So I have him stashed everywhere. Whereas everyone then, Alexander Madison wasn't dropped anywhere, but now with Cam Akers injured, we go right back to Ty Chandler stashed everywhere. I try to be ahead of the backup situations, so I'm not spending fab. It's a lot like drafting Ty Chandler and Alexander Madison this offseason. The argument was what we talked about at the top of the show and incorrectly putting Madison in the bucket he didn't belong. The thing is, though, for those of us who also drafted Ty Chandler but then dropped him when they traded for Cam Akers, those decisions are inconsequential because we spent last-round picks on them. Madison, you couldn't drop and couldn't get away from, despite the fact he's RB 33 in points per game, because you spent a top-five-round pick on him. So it's just about making those intelligent decisions, too, because it costs nothing to get away from the last-round players. So that's kind of how I eye my waiver wires.
0: And isn't it always the case that the one league that that guy is available in is the one we're usually stacked at that position already? You know, like there's that one, yes, running back you don't, you don't see him anywhere, but the one team you're stacked, he's sitting on the waiver wire. More importantly, what
2: always happens is that I shuffle enough every week. Like I'm a grinder and that I always get the shuffling wrong. It's like, Oh, I had Jaleel McLaughlin on my roster last week. I held him for three games. I said, okay, uh, I gotta get, I gotta get somewhere else. So I gotta get Zamir white on here instead. Just keep playing the game. And then of course, Javante Williams gets injured and Jaleel, Jaleel McLaughlin's in. It's like, well, that's why I also I just, I refuse to drop Marvin Mims. I, I'm going to go down with Marvin Mims. I don't even care because if that dude breaks out, I'll be damned if I held him for eight weeks and then
0: just got rid of him. No way. Marvin Mims, uh, yeah, I just moved him for Ch- Chuba Hubbard uh, in, in one league with our buddy, the Harry Snowman, and uh, you know didn't look, didn't look too too great last night. Is all right. Ho- you get hopefully. you get the touches with Chuba, nothing that that goes
2: anywhere point. because that Panthers offense is so miserable.
0: It's awful. It's awful. It's I know they say Young doesn't have weapons, but I just I don't know. I just don't see it.
2: It could I be think. both. It can definitely be both. Everyone tries to make, you know, because it's the world we live in now. Everyone has to be black and white. No one can paint the gray area and have a a, a discussion like that. But genuinely, it can be both. The play calling is bad and Bryce Young has been terrible and gives you nothing on film to be excited about. Uh yeah. it, it's it's sad that it is literally miserable to watch the number one overall pick play professional football. And that's where we are right now. I don't want to watch him play at all because I learn yeah. nothing every time he plays.
0: Yeah, it's a good way to put it. And and Whereas we'll love like, it.
2: Let's watch Will Levis every day. Will Levis, I don't know what's going to happen, but Will Levis is fun as hell.
0: Yeah, the the chip on his shoulder helps too; makes it a little a little more exciting, right? Um, yeah. let, let, let's take a quick word uh, from our sponsors. We've got a lot to get to. We're going to talk some Johnny Smith versus Pitts. We're going to talk Demont versus Gibbs. We got a lot to get to right after this.
2: Hey, so many ask me what's wrong with sports books. Why so many of them fail? The answer is simple: they don't innovate.
0: They're just casino sports books on a phone. That's all they've been. There are a few that are doing a good job. We partner with them. Most of them, not so much. Until BetOpenly came along. BetOpenly said, hey, we're going to innovate. We're going to do something groundbreaking. We're going to have peer-to-peer betting in all states, and you pay 1%. When you win, you pay just 1% on your winnings. You heard that right. It's 1%.
2: With Code Underworld, you qualify for just that 1% transaction fee on BetOpenly. It gives you ultimate flexibility to set your own lines and browse lines that others have set. Think about it. That's what betting should be. And now that is the reality. Bedopenly.com. The code is Underworld. Check it out.
0: All right, we're back. Anthony feels you, John. He says you, you feel like you're shuffling your roster and you're you're one-off. Uh, like a play caller, right, yeah. and it's it, it does get frustrating, but that hey, that's that's kind of the the risk of that high volume movement, right? That,
2: that or or uh, I did hit the past couple of weeks. Uh, a team I drafted with 4-4 four, four zone, Ryan Noonan and Connor Allen, it's scraping by all because of our waiver wire. Uh, we're 6-3, and three, but it's such a tight division that we still have a real good chance of taking it down. And we did, because of the waiver wire, luck into both Chuba Hubbard and Devin Singletary. But also, then you get caught up in a situation where, do I really want to start Devin Singletary? Because they can't run the ball against any opponent. So it's like, I got it right, but it was more like blocking everyone else from having to start him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get into specifics. Let's talk um, kind of rest of season. We we like to hit a bit on dynasty and redraft to help kind of uh, most of our audience. Let's face it. We all play the different formats of fantasy, right? So you want to get a good take on these guys on the different formats. So we'll try to do that as we approach certain situations. When I when when I see John Daigle on the on the guest list, I like I have a million things I want to ask you about. So the hard part was kind of limiting we're going to start in Chicago. Obviously, Fields is supposed to be back soon. He's given us two top three quarterback weeks against Denver and Washington week four and five. But otherwise, it's been like a QB 15, to QB 13 variety that we've gotten. DJ Moore, on the other hand, has been pretty good. Wide receiver 11, his best season so far, fantasy points per game. Top six in yards and top five in yak. Is this just the beginning of a relationship between a young receiver and his quarterback, and this will evolve and kind of get up, give us more consistency or can we expect kind of a Rocky, you know, production from these guys throughout the rest of this season?
2: And as you mentioned, the, Field ceiling games, it is slightly concerning that they came against, yes, the commanders and whenever the Broncos defense was bad. Because over the last month, the Broncos defense has actually turned it around. Even back in week five, when the Jets scored 31 points to get them, it was because of a fumble six and five field goals. They didn't, they didn't really get there on offense at all. So I think DJ Moore will ultimately be just fine with Justin Fields and you have to keep Fields around all because of his rushing ceiling because even if it was based solely on the matchups the fact he did finish as a top two quarterback in consecutive weeks kind of tells you why we're chasing him you just kind of take the roller coaster that is Justin Fields hoping that he has those ceiling games but we also know in those kind of ceiling performances that DJ Moore did finish as a top five wide receiver in both weeks as well so that's what we're hoping for uh, I don't mind writing it out, but we do need to temper our expectations because based on volume, Fields, uh, DJ Moore certainly is not a wide receiver one the rest of the way. Not to mention that even if Fields, for Dynasty Leagues, for instance, if Fields is not there next year, we're not expecting them to be given their draft capital right now, I think last I saw, there's a 68% chance they have the number one and number wow. five overall picks, then DJ Moore will be playing with Caleb Williams or Drake May, most likely. And that's something you should get excited about. There's also no guarantee that's under Matt Eberflus next year. So I would personally be excited to have DJ Moore, but Justin Fields, you have to hold and redraft all because of the sporadic ceiling, and then just see where he lands next year for dynasty. Because again, I don't think he's going to be there next year.
0: He's going to, he's going to green Bay, man. So Henry, Henry Siegel thinks he's got this whole dynasty thing figured out. I traded sure. two future seconds and a 2024 20, or sorry, two, two, two 24 seconds and a 20, or is that two seconds, one twenty-four and one twenty five while well, I'm having trouble. It's Friday afternoon for Tyson Badgen and Trivion Williams. Just curious. Do you think the rookie had has gained uh, some time, as as Henry thinks, after the win last night? Or do you think as soon as Fields is healthy, he's back in when he can be?
2: I don't think they're giving him a real chance. And to be fair, he's been pretty unimpressive. Like, he makes some throws, but uh, it's nothing that actually moves the needle. Um, that was really just a, the Bears won because of Bryce Young, not because of Tyson Bagent moving them along. So maybe they keep Bagent under center solely because... They don't think they'll have fields or they want to continue getting closer to the number one overall pick. But I don't think we say see Bajant for much longer, honestly. Sorry, Henry. Yeah. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. So it's I'm wrong sometimes. So it's okay.
0: Appreciate the chat, guys. Keep the questions and the comments coming. Let's go to another offense here in Atlanta. You've got Arthur Smith and his mustache. Just, you know, John, there, there are there are very polarizing topics in the world right now and none other than Cal Pitts versus John Smith. I mean, one guy's got 47 targets in pits. John who's got 42, you've got tight end 17 out of pits and 14 out of Johnny. So kind of splitting there. who has been coming along. I got to admit like in tight end premium FFPC, you got him off waivers. Like I did in leagues where your tight end, maybe, you know, isn't giving you what you need. He's been a nice add on, but I'm yeah. curious to see, how do you think this plays out rest of way? Do we just have kind of like a tight end by committee here and they're both capped at their ceilings or do you think it tilts uh, either way as we, as we get deeper?
2: And over the last month, Kyle Pitts is not even getting the routes anymore. He's run a route on 66% of dropbacks. It makes zero sense. It's organizational (laughs) malpractice, but it's also a little tougher to pinpoint because it's us trying to get into the mind of a coach. It's not really him using his best players. If anything, we can, we can say it's easily projectable because we don't think Arthur Smith is going to come around anytime soon. So I am certainly worried about Pitts and Bijan Robinson rest of season uh, inside the 10 yard line, even. Algier has outcarried Bijan Robinson 10 to 2. And unlike Gus Edwards, right? Like, as much as we all love Keaton Mitchell, we know his ceiling is completely capped, not just because he's undersized. He's fun as hell, but he's undersized. But also, Gus Edwards is freaking good. Uh, for, all, for all the running backs we complain about, James Cook and whatnot, Latavius Murray on the goal line who are just bad at that role, Gus Edwards has had eight carries inside the five-yard line this year, and he's converted six of them into touchdowns. He's never going to lose that role, whereas Tyler Algier uh, is just practically getting stuffed. Ten of those carries, only two touchdowns. And the fact they gave John U. Smith a goal line carry last week on their series that went four plays inside the five-yard line over Bijan Robinson... Kind of tells you everything. So, Kyle Pitts, I have no faith in Bijan. I'd like to see it. I doubt we see it. Uh, it's just tough right now. It's really tough.
0: Does it change anything with regards to when we're drafting these rookies, like especially in dynasty and and dynasty drafts, with regards to which regime they're going or which coaching situation they're going to, like Bijan? Or are you still going to take the best player on the board no matter what and hope the talent at the end, you know, wins?
2: I'm still going to. Take the best player and we can't get away from Pitts. Again, yeah. it's not a Pitts thing at all, in my opinion. Uh, better coaches would figure out how to use his own talent. So maybe also we don't have Arthur Smith next year, although the Falcons schedule is so easy that we can see them being like a participation trophy team and limping into the wild card and then just getting knocked over the head and eliminated by 40 points. So uh I, I will still chase the talent. Bijan Robin is still a generational talent. But unfortunately, everyone sees it but his own coach, which is still a wild concept.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, let's go to Houston. We do have a, a, you know, talking about rookies, we talked about young and and kind of the disappointment so far. CJ Stroud, probably the talk of the league right now. Uh, QB5 in QB points per game after eight. He's, I mean... He, and the best thing is his head coach is an ex-defensive coordinator. So kind of in a you know defensive situation, his weapons, his receivers are two young receivers. One's a rookie, one's in his second year. Even uh, Noah Brown coming up with a big game last week. He's also elevating the players around him, the weapons around him. Is this going to continue, you think, rest of the season? I know long-term dynasty. I mean, CJ Stroud is definitely a piece that you're going to want. Maybe tell us where you think his ceiling could be long-term but what can we expect this year? Is there going to be kind of that rookie wall coming up? Should we be a little cautious or should we be kind of buying on these guys for our playoff runs?
2: If anything, I would think it gets a little better Uh, in the first quarter against the Bucks. Even Bobby Sloick has been a good play caller, but his stubbornness to continue trying to run the ball in early downs has set CJ Stroud back for a down and distance on third down longer than seven yards. And, Stroud so far has been getting there because he's that damn good, but you can't fight that consistently every single week. And what we saw was again, without Damian Pierce against the Bucks, try to do it. Devin Singletary got nowhere in the first quarter. Uh, he on his first four first downs, he didn't gain a single yard and they ran the ball each time and Slowik it. It just clicked. He's like, okay, screw this. And then the last three quarters, CJ Stroud averaged over 10 yards per attempt on first down. They just started slinging it. That was a exceptional matchup against a Bucks defense that has laid down since their bye in the last four games. Now, opposing quarterbacks the last four weeks, and this includes road Jared Goff, and Desmond Ritter, not to mention C.J. Stroud last week, are averaging 73% completion rate and 9.2 yards per attempt against them. So Stroud was amazing, but it also was a great spot for Texans' yeah. passing game overall. There probably will be some bumps along the road, but this is what Stroud projected as coming out of college too – I think everyone was slightly concerned, not only because the S2 tests that were the dumbest thing to happen this offseason, but also because for his career, you know, once Mecca Abuka gets drafted in the first round, Stroud will have played with five first round receivers at Ohio State for his entire career. So I think everyone tried to pin their production, pin his production on them, rather than understanding he still completed a class high rate of passes, both to the intermediate level of the field, 10 to 19 yards and 20 yards deep. Um, and now we're seeing him elevate good players. Like Neil, Nico Collins is that dude too. Remember, Nico Collins got recruited to Georgia and Alabama initially. He just turned them down and went with Michigan instead at college because that was John Harbaugh's first year. Um, and so like everyone was just chasing the Harbaugh's at that time. It was like the hottest name in all of coaching. So like Nico Collins, Tank Dell, Stroud is still elevating very good players. About this week, like the short term, I'm worried against Luan and Rumo in this Bengals defense. I think it's the worst spot possible, hence why the Bengals are edging towards seven-point favorites at home. But overall, long-term, this is who Stroud is. Uh, He he is debated as the number one, number two fantasy quarterback over Bryce Young. In my rookie tiers this offseason, I had him over Bryce Young. It was mostly due because understanding he did offer a little bit of a rushing floor which he isn't showing in the league but he had a couple games last year in college where push came to shove he had six carries for 60 yards against northwestern in that college playoff game uh, i believe he had 11 carries against georgia so he showed he had a rushing floor whereas bryce young has never ran that's why i wanted him over bryce young and rookie drafts but now everything has clicked so well Against a, a offensive or with an offensive line that is at its lowest point. We haven't even seen them have a good offensive line that, that you could argue that maybe he can top Anthony Richardson. I doubt it, given Anthony Richardson's um ceiling and consistent rushing floor. Like Richardson was averaging 13 and a half rushing points per game. That's that's pretty crazy because if it also comes with the passing ceiling, like he's a top three quarterback every single year. But Stroud is so good that the fact he's even close to a rushing quarterback says everything you need to know.
0: Nicholas is wondering if AR stayed healthy, who would you have ahead of who? Oh,
2: uh, for their, I mean, for Dynasty, AR still has to be ahead of Stroud. Like he's not yeah. ahead. Um, I mean, Again, you add that rushing floor and that was with Anthony Richardson being a terrible passer. You have mm. to chase that in fantasy. We're just playing a different game. Better quarterback, like who wins a championship first? It'd be Stroud, but that's not the game we're playing.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, Daniel, I see your question. We'll get to that in a bit. Let's go to Green Bay where the quarterback hasn't necessarily panned out. We talk about young Love was behind Rodgers for all those years. He thought maybe we might see, you know, a similar um success out of Love in his in his first season or at least a bit better than what we've seen. And that along the way has also hurt Christian Watson, who's someone that we were high on. He's right now wide receiver 63, John Uh, When you're looking fantasy points per game, is there any hope for these two? I know Aaron Jones will still have a place. You got to think that they're going to lean more on the running game, but does the second year receiver and the quarterback have a chance to turn the season around in your eyes?
2: It depends what they do because we saw Aaron Jones as Matt LaFleur hinted at finally unleashed a season high 24 touches, a season high 63% of the backfield touches and more importantly a 24% target share. And that target share is important because you have to hide Jordan Love. We we have now we are now seeing that Jordan Love is not the answer long term. He has only PJ Walker has a lower completion rate from a clean pocket this year than oh, Jordan wow. Love. He's been miserable. He's also he's also bottom two in completion rate on throws 10 yards downfield. He's just not the guy. But that's where Aaron Jones comes in. Because having that high target share closer to the line of scrimmage hides the flaws of Love and also helps out Aaron Jones. So I have a lot of faith in Aaron Jones the rest of the season. He's one of the guys I'm trying to trade for for the fantasy playoffs if you need an immediate answer. But for Jordan Love, no. And Christian Watson, I just don't think they get there this year. Watson, he goes into the same category as Garrett Wilson, chris olave nico collins even quietly to a certain extent these guys oh calvin ridley too these guys who it's not their fault they just get or and george pickens too just all of them they're just misused because they're only getting boundary routes deep into the outside outside the numbers and those are the most inefficient and least consistent targets that that we cannot pinpoint fantasy points on. And so if you're only being used like that, you have to have immense volume. And those guys also aren't earning immense volume. So they're just come down to like weekly, weekly matchups. And unfortunately, Christian Watson can't get there with that kind of arm and completion rate from love.
0: Yeah, he's he's not getting the volume. It it's, sucks. It's, I have him on so many
2: teams and I can't start him because I know yeah. the
0: I know what happens every week. Yeah. And, and dubs is getting attention, but it's like not enough. You know, he's just not, I mean, if
2: dubs again, it it is a good quality to only score touchdowns inside the 10 yard line. But if it weren't for those touchdowns, like what would he even be doing? He'd be the wide receiver 90 every week.
0: Yeah. Agreed. All right. Let's go to Detroit, Detroit high hopes coming into the season. They've been looking good. The running game has been looking good and now it's looking even better because Gibbs has finally caught on. He's been giving you some nice weeks with demon out. But now Demont comes back. So how do you think this plays out? These are two pretty significant players when you're looking at fantasy land and, and where they sit on rosters right now, especially for those contenders. Which one would you rather have rest of the season? And how do you think it plays out between the two? Jared Goff and who? Who was the second option? Sorry, uh, uh, Jameer Gibbs and um, David Montgomery. I call him Demont. Sorry. So D-Mont. no,
2: no, you're good. Uh, it it's a confusing situation. I'm so torn on the Lions' offense right now because. Jameer gives us so good. I can't imagine they put that genie back in the bottle, but also the way they ran their offense. Whenever David Montgomery was back there, he not only averaged 23 carries per game. They were averaging the fifth highest run plate run play rate in the lead from neutral game script. They wanted to be a running team. And so I I genuinely don't know what they're going to do. I think the answer is they're both startable. Whereas Jameer Gibbs was fringe startable. Like we were lucky to get there as a flex option in Montgomery's last couple of appearances as he just dominated touches. But I would say Gibbs has the higher ceiling. Montgomery gets theirs because of his floor and the goal line option every week. But I do think Gibbs was good enough to make both of them startable weekly now.
0: Good enough is, it's crazy. I mean, he put up RB1 and RB3 against Vegas. He was amazing. In, when they were pumped and and Baltimore. You know, yeah. so I guess Baltimore is the big one. Yeah, for sure. Detroit just, yeah. I mean, that was a bad spot for Detroit overall, but yeah. Um, okay. Let's go to new England. Actually, we can, we can look at new England, but you mentioned a guy earlier, you mentioned Gus Edwards. James cook is another guy we had high hopes for, especially in the district. He was someone I thought was going a little, a little late for, for the upside he was offering and the little competition they brought in. Um, now you've got LF there. You've got Lat Murray there. Between Ramondre Stevenson, James Cook, and Gus Edwards, John Nagel, which one would you want rest of season?
2: It has to be Gus Edwards, right? Because the Ravens are so good that they are going to be in game scripts where Gus Edwards will consistently get the ball. That's why I actually worry about Lamar Jackson MVP tickets because they can win 13 games. Lamar may not get MVP because this Ravens team, man, uh, even – Aaron shots at FTN Fantasy has charted them as the third best team ever since he's been charting DVOA because wow. both the offense and the defense are just some of the best units we've ever seen. They're gonna they're gonna smash the Browns this week. By the way, don't even watch that game. Um, so yeah, I, I think I would actually lean towards the juggernaut offense. We think we'll have a lot of leads, and as we've seen, Gus Edwards is still dominating carries whenever they have an eight plus point lead, and I expect them to have that a lot. So. I would personally take Gus Edwards. It is clear the Bills do not like James Cook. That's That was why they signed Leonard Fournette. It's also why for the second season in a row, they're averaging the fewest running back touches per game, only 23 collectively, because they do not want to use their running backs. They do not trust them.
0: Let's talk Keaton Mitchell. We t- he, Obviously, we talked about your waiver wire article. He's mm-hmm. definitely a hot, a hot piece of you-know-what off the uh, waiver wire this week but you just talked about how good Gus the bus has been. So what can we expect from these two guys moving forward? Is Keaton just like kind of a flex play moving forward with, with how good Gus is? Or do you think there's room in this offense for both of these guys?
2: I think he's still a flex play in these blowouts as well, just because of the way they use him. I was shocked actually in the first half of that game, they gave him four touches, Edwards four touches, and Justice Hill four touches. Like they just wanted to use them all Out of the gates. Mitchell didn't get there just because of blowout game skirt. He got there because they wanted to use him. And he's so explosive on his touches. I mean, he looks like he can take it to the house every single time he touches it. So he's still someone I'm comfortable chasing. But again, we just know Gus Edwards is going to have that kill the clock role and on the goal line. So even if he was more like Jamal Williams last year and that you need him to score touchdowns. I think of this offense, it's more than capable of happening. So both just fine. Mitchell more of a flex option. Gus Edwards more of an RB2. Okay.
0: Let's go to Daniel. He's got a question. We talked about Stroud. Do you prefer Stroud without Nico or T-Law this week?
2: Oh, what a what a tough question. I, yeah. think, I think it would be Trevor Lawrence for me. We're not getting Zay Jones back. I thought we would, but it looks like it's going to be Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk again out of the bye. Um, I have more faith in the environment in San Francisco just because uh, it's going to be a pass-happy attack, I believe. Brock Purdy you know, has turned the ball over five interceptions, two fumbles his last three games, but he still leads the league in yards per attempt to completion rate from a clean pocket. And the Jaguars are creating the 25th lowest pressure rate, 26th in sacks. I just don't think they can get to him at all with, with Trent Williams back this week. So I love the 49er spot, which then makes me logically like the passing game for the Jaguars because I think we're gonna get a little bit of a shootout. So I think I would start Trevor Lawrence personally. For me, CJ Stroud missing Nico Collins. Also, I need to look at the final injury report. On Thursday, though, they had 23 different players listed on their injury report. Like it it just kind of has become an injury cluster. And from history of betting, like I know when you have injury clusters, it's just never a good sign. Also, yeah. also, my worry is I don't bet against Lou Anarumo. Uh, We forget how good he's been because he's been so he's been around so long calling defensive plays for the Bengals. But if you go back to other prominent rookies he's faced, Kyler Murray had 253 yards and no passing touchdowns. The Dolphins, in two his rookie year, managed only one offensive touchdown against the Bengals, and then in 2021, Anarumo held Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields to a combined. 260 passing yards and one pick so it, it just doesn't seem like a good spot for stroud this week which i know is crazy to say considering he's fresh off 470 and five touchdowns
0: yeah they're going to sense you're you're almost you're almost hoping there's a lot of garbage time with stroud whereas yeah. jacksonville's at home i know san fran is a machine defensively but um i, I do like t law better at home and like you said and
2: uh 49ers have been leaking big plays on the boundary and that, that makes sense given their personnel how they're built so i i think we could maybe get a little pushback from the jaguars this week
0: yeah david they've been on a roll man they've looked good um, let's go to steven appreciate you steven would you start noah brown or cooper this week <sighs> I, I oh man like I, I was, at, I, I'm i in a lot of spots where I've got Noah Brown is, is, is putting Noah Brown in instead of one of your usual starters chasing last week, you think, or do you think with Nico Collins out and maybe them from behind, maybe you still get that volume for. for so I,
2: I played Noah Brown in a lot of spots last week because the spot made a lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm even like now he's he's basically been their top two or three wide receiver. He has a 15% target share in every game he's played. He's always been out there when he's been healthy and they trust him. So it's not like he's a bad option, honestly. And if we're taking out Nico Collins, 16% target share when he's been on the field with tank Dale, you would think Noah Brown is a great option. Not to mention like, man, I talked about Deshaun Watson. Like I am, I'm so worried about Watson. Like Mm -hmm. the, the, Not only did he not look good last week against the Cardinals, despite getting there, a Cardinals defense that is third in pressure or third lowest pressure rate. They're blitzing at the league's seventh lowest rate. They just don't get to quarterbacks, which also, by the way, makes me love Drake London this week over Bijan Robinson. Can't wait to play London. But uh, for Watson, he's been miserable against the Blitz this year. And I think the Ravens know that. I think they're just going to send everybody, and Watson's going to fail spectacularly. So I worry about Cooper's spot. I can say start Noah Brown. I think Noah Brown's the better start, but you know, if, if I had those two players, could I actually pull the trigger? That's what it always comes down to. Could I do that? I don't know. It's kind of what we're all dealing with. Devontae Adams too. Devontae Adams is not a good play, especially this week against the Jets. But like, can can we actually do it? Do we have the stomach to bench him? Yeah.
0: I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. especially Cooper's been. He just he's coming off a big week, but I mean, he he's yeah. up against Arizona, right? So right. Um, Hopefully that helped you out, Stephen. We appreciate the question, guys. Keep them. Noah Brown is the better start. I, I know it's
2: really hard. It is really hard, but Noah Brown I, I, is the better start. Yeah.
0: All right, you heard it here. There were CMC. Obviously, I think at this point we could say was a was a good pick overall. You know, he, he's giving you your money's worth. But the next guys drafted, John, out of Eckler, Pollard, and you you talked about some of these already, but just give us your thoughts between these guys. I want to know who you want the most rest of season and who you want the least out of Eckler, Pollard, Bijan, Barkley, Jacobs, and Mixon. Basically the, you know, from the two to the, to the seven spot in the drafts this year.
2: I want Pollard the most still, because at least he's still getting the touches. Even if you look at defenses that are ranked below average in DVOA. so against those bottom 16 defenses when he's played them this year he's averaged 18 fantasy points he's still getting there he's not offering the ceiling we thought but he's still getting there so i don't mind him as long as he continues getting the usage um the issue for austin eckler and i think it's an offensive line problem i've seen like espn's run blocking stats they are second to last and totally. run blocking metrics. And that's why Eckler, I believe Eckler has the second lowest explosive rushing rate this year. Like he's been terrible. He's just getting there on touchdown solely. So Eckler's a little bit worrisome for his, for his future moving forward. I think the least though, is still Joe Mixon because yeah. I mean, how many times do we have to see it this year? That just like the Texans, the Bengals can't run the ball. That's not their offense. And Joe Mixon offers no ceiling. He's literally just a touch-based option that you hope scores a touchdown every week. So I I think the least one for me would be Mixon, yes, but the most would be Tony Pollard.
0: I think you're probably right. The other one I don't mind is Jacobs. I mean, you think that Vegas maybe keeps on this high, and as a defensive team, just trying to run the ball with a young quarterback, you know, that kind of whole narrative, yeah. uh, he's given us some pretty decent weeks, so... but. Yeah, I mean, you hope you 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 get your monies back from these guys at least in the playoffs, but it's tough pill to swallow when you put that much invested in these guys and they don't, you know, give you even close to what you paid for.
2: Totally fair. My, my, also for Jacobs, I just don't know how long they can be that hard nosed running team they want to be under Antonio Pierce. It worked out last week in a great spot, but like their their defense isn't good. Uh, they're still like a bottom five team in pressure rate, despite Max Crosby doing it all himself. Eight different running backs have already reached over 65 rushing yards against them. So I, I expect Brees Hall to explode this week. I don't think they can stop anyone. So if you are constantly taking yourself out of being able to run the ball in negative game script, I just don't know. That's just not a good team.
0: All right. I see a a few questions in the chat. We're going to get to them. Let's just finish off here. Kyler Murray's coming back this week, John. Mm -hmm. I threw this in just because obviously, I mean, pretty big news when you're talking about the Cardinals and who's been a quarterback in their offense, him coming back has to give a ripple effect to the weapons that are around him. You talk Hollywood, you talk Rondell Moore, JC should be back soon. How do we feel about Arizona with Kyler back? Is there Something here for Fantasyland to maybe get ahead of before we see him on the field and maybe get some of these pieces uh, for a playoff run, or do you think it'll kind of be the same, before, you know, by the time he settles in and, and where this team is at as a whole?
2: Everyone can make their own decisions on this. I'm a lot more skeptical than public consensus on Kyler and his first game back. It's still a torn ACL from a December injury uh, for a rushing quarterback. I, I am very skeptical how he looks in this game. Not to mention... It's not even just about Kyler. If you're talking about this week alone, from the top down, all the quarterbacks he's ranked around universally, no matter what site you go to, they're all in better spots than Kyler. That's my point. Like Geno Smith is in a ceiling mm. game against this commander's defense that without Montez Sweat and Chase Young last week, only pressure Mac Jones on 23% of his dropbacks. And Geno Smith, although he's turned the ball over, has been just fine from a clean pocket. Sixth in the league in yards per attempt, averaging eight from a clean pocket. So I love Geno Smith over Kyler this week. We already talked about Brock Purdy from a clean pocket. I love Brock Purdy this week getting Trent Williams back. Uh, Sam Howe is still averaging a league high in dropbacks per game. So I love Sam Howe to answer in that game against the Seahawks. Josh Dobbs is now playing a Saints defense that runs so much man coverage, that's why they're allowing the second most rushing yards per game. And Dobbs is averaged like everyone's chasing Kyler Murray for rushing yards, one, I don't think he's going to run a lot in his first game back. Two, Josh Dobbs has been rushing. Josh Dobbs has averaged 4.8. He's reached 4.8 rushing points in seven of his last eight starts. He's the one providing with his legs in a really good spot now against the Saints defense. Uh, also, Will Levis, a ceiling game against the as against this Bucs defense we talked about earlier. So I, I don't think I – the point is I don't need to get to Kyler. I don't need to start Kyler when all yeah. these guys are in ceiling games. So I don't want to get there. I
0: think you're right. Uh, Daniel was just asking Dobbs versus Carr. I think I heard you actually this week talk about Dobbs over Carr, if, I, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah, because what's happened now with Derek Carr, and it makes all the sense in the world. So Derek Carr historically, I we knew this coming into the year. It's, it's crazy the way they wrote puff pieces about him. Um, he's been the one of the league's worst quarterbacks in the red zone when the field condenses, he shrinks, and he's done this for his entire career, just been a league average player. And now, the Saints, the past couple games, because he was completing only 40% of his passes in the red zone, finally said, Okay, screw it, you're coming off the field in the red zone. Taysom Hill's coming in, and now they're scoring points because Taysom Hill is a cheat code. Uh, honestly, Taysom Hill, if in sites where you're allowed to play him at tight end, it's really like playing super flex in leagues that aren't super flex. He's just so good and now gets put in the most important spot of the field. So, Derek Carr now has been a uh, fringe QB1, uh, finishes of 10, 11, and 13 the past three weeks, despite this Taysom Hill usage because he's still driving the ball down there and sometimes he's throwing it to Taysom Hill. So, Derek Carr is a safe play. If you want to play Kyler over Derek Carr again, I don't care. It's just a lot of times. Uh, I just don't think we need to put ourselves in these situations.
0: Yeah, don't overthink it. Daniel's asking, um, someone dropped KC defense. He currently has the Jets. Should he drop the Jets to pick up KC, uh, especially for FFPC redraft crew? What are your thoughts on that? I know KC has a week 13 by coming up, I believe. Or no, they're on by right now. Sorry.
2: They're on by Yes, completely fine. I think we're in the time of the year we're stashing two defenses. Yeah. Is I'm great ask you that. And uh, oh yeah, uh, now I'm at the point where I am stashing two defenses and getting ready for the the fantasy playoffs. And a good point by the Harry Snowman in the chat, he mentions the Bengals defense that I picked up everywhere to start against the Texans offense this week. But as he mentions in the chat, the playoff stretch too, they get, the Bengals get the Bears, the Texans, and the Jets. Uh, Not to mention their stretch of games from week 10 on. So it's a pretty sweet spot to stash the Bengals right now,
0: guys. Thursday tailgate. It's Harry Snowman and I. We just destroy those Thursday night games. He brings the goodness, man. We 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 have a pretty good, um, pretty good uh, chat on these, and and the chat's been awesome. You guys have been awesome this week, uh, especially. We've got a question from it's Chucka baby. Would you trade Gibbs Keaton Mitchell for the possible one on one or one on two and Dalvin Cook? Cook is trash. So it's dynasty. Basically, would you send Gibbs and Keaton Mitchell for the one hundred and one or the one hundred and two in dynasty if you were uh, a rebuild? I'm guessing
2: Gibbs Keaton for the one hundred and one or one hundred and two. Gibbs Keaton for the one hundred and one. Hmm. Gosh. In a one quarterback league, I think I would not. In a super flex league, I think I would. That's a that's a good problem though. You're not even doing it for Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook has no value whatsoever. It's zero.
0: Especially on a rebuild. Yeah.
2: you're doing it for the one-on-one. You're doing it for Marvin Harrison Jr. or Caleb Williams, depending what kind of format you play. So it's tough, but I, yeah, I think, I think it's a win-win. There yeah. it is. Like, yeah. Like Anthony M said, if it's super flex and if you need a quarterback, that's exactly yeah. what
0: I was getting at. I mean that's exactly it. Yeah. Cause the, those quarterbacks are, you know, if you, any chance you get to, to get them. I'm trying to see. Oh, here we go. I have tank Dell. Brown is on waivers. Should I drop Charbonnet to start both? on my flat in my flex between tank tank Dell and Noah Brown. So drop uh, I drop Charbonnet so- and play both. Would you sh- drop Charbonnet play- to play tank Dell and Noah Brown?
2: Again, it comes down to what you need. If you were starting Charbonnet Brown is a better starter this week than Charbonnet. But if you were needing a stash, I keep Charbonnet over Brown and I don't mind this week missing those points from Brown. It just, it just depends what else your options are, but yes, Brown is the better starter. Than Charbonnet this week. We just don't know how that backfield will shake out. Ken Walker was again a DMP on Wednesday and Thursday, I believe, removed from the injury report today. But the last time we saw him on the injury report, that's when he sunk backwards and Charbonnet handled his highest share of backfield touches a couple weeks ago. So I just don't know. I don't know how that backfield is going to shake out.
0: Yeah, and, and let's face it, it's handcuff season, right? We talk about handcuffing defenses and having two on your on your bench and redraft. It's similar with your with your uh, running backs. And now's the time yeah. to you know realize who your studs are and make sure you've got their handcuffs. Daniel's got a question: Drake London, which I know you're high on, or JSN versus Washington in .5 PPR?
2: Uh, for me, oh, for me, it's Drake London. It's not even close. So yeah. everything yeah. we mentioned about like Deshaun Watson getting there last week. It's the same thing for Taylor Heineke this week. Taylor Heineke has been slinging it since he came in. The last two weeks, he's averaging over 10 air yards per attempt. And as much frustration as we have in Kyle Pitts and Bijan Robinson's usage, that hasn't been the case for London. London's been getting there every week. He has, he has over a 21% target share in five consecutive games. He's been a double digit target share in every game since week one when everyone got pissed off at him. London is not the problem. And he practiced in full all week long. So I'm firing up London
0: everywhere this week. It's such a good spot. And the irony is, London is the one weapon in atlanta that people were most worried about coming Yeah, <laughs> you know?
2: i think i think they're still frustrated about week one honestly i don't think people realize like how <laughs> good london has been this year
0: i i agree i've got him on a lot of teams and he's been he's been a pleasant uh pleasant addition for sure um daniel truly the goats of explanation we appreciate you guys today you guys have been awesome let's throw one more um this whole show was kind of about identifying you know trends that will continue in whichever direction Is there someone that we haven't seen yet when we're talking about players who will pop and be significant for us in fantasy land, whether that's like a backup or you're talking about even a backup of of a backup, or is there someone that you're kind of stashing that maybe we haven't talked about, or you're not hearing a lot about there uh, just to help our audience out?
2: Aaron Jones is someone I talked about who I, I think that elite usage continues as long as he's healthy, just because again, Logically, from a football stance, it makes sense because they have to hide Jordan Love to be successful. Um, Javante Williams is someone I've been trying to trade for everywhere because he popped against the Chiefs with 30 touches, but it was trending in that direction the entire time. The Broncos have kind of found their identity, too. I hinted at it, but the Broncos started the year as an historically bad defense the first month. But the last month of the season... They've crept back up in the top half of the league in pressure rate. They're 12th in yards per attempt to the air and 10th in limiting explosive passes. So they've been an above-average defense now, and their identity has become to lean on the running game. Javante's share of backfield touches have increased in three consecutive games since he returned from injury, leading up to that season-high 78% mark against the Chiefs. And from week ten, so from this week on the Broncos have the fourth easiest schedule of opposing rushing defenses to close the year. So if that's going to be their identity, as long as Javante's healthy and he's now a half season removed from or working himself back into that torn ACL injury, man, he's going to blow up. So I, I think Javante Williams like one of the higher priced ones, but I still don't mind buying high on.
0: What do you think? What do you think? So in one of our uh, 500s that Dan and I share, which we're also crushing, he just went for a first. Is that kind of where his it, – it, you think he's a 24 first about right now? And do you you discriminate like if it's later or a bit more to the front end of the first? I
2: would say probably a bit more to the closer to the mid back end. But yes, I don't mind the first round price because I, I could definitely see him him, Aaron Jones, Jonathan Taylor, finishing up there over the second half of the season, top four, top five, in points per game among all running backs, because the usage in the matchups are now suddenly aligning for all of them, um, now that we've kind of kicked the habit of them being committee backs. And then I guess in terms of who we have not saw, it would still be betting on Ty Chandler as one of my favorite stashes, or Tajay nice. Spears, because Tajay Spears is kind of doing what he did at Tulane last year, where over 70% of his yards came after contact. He's a little bulldozer, man. He's like Jalen Warren, honestly. And so the moment, or if Derrick Henry were injured, Tajay Spears steps up into this, not only getting all of Henry's touches, but with Will Levis, I really think Will Levis is going to back linebackers off and so defenses no longer can play as many eight-man boxes against Henry because now there's suddenly an answer over the top. And if that's the case, both Henry and Tajay Spears is more of a contingency option, can get there in the second half of the season.
0: You re- you really like uh, Will Levis. Like, you think this is long-term. He's he's the the, the answer in Tennessee. You think he's good I- enough to stay there? I don't know. You just think he's fun. You think he's fun for fantasy. I he think he
2: is. I think he looks so much different than the crap I've had to watch the past month. Uh, <laughs> he looks, he looks so different than Tyson Bajant, Kenny Pickett, Bryce Young, uh, yeah. Tommy Danny DeVito. He looks, he just looks like a completely different player. Like it's not even close. Those guys aren't NFL quarterbacks. Will Levis looks like one.
0: I like it. I like it. Let's uh, one last question. Quick one. Does JJ, Justin Jefferson, Justin Jefferson, does he come back to win fantasy leagues for us or what?
2: I don't know about win fantasy leagues. I I think the ceiling is still capped from Josh Dobbs. We, we kind of even saw, honestly, like when I'm so glad it worked out well. I want Josh Dobbs to do good. He's a great kid. He's a great story. But even when he came in, people don't realize on three of his first four possessions, he... Took a safety and fumbled twice inside his own 25 yard line. And I I thought, oh no, like this is the Dawes we saw the last month in Arizona. This is not going to go well. But then he didn't answer on that last drive, including that big 22 yard scramble on fourth and seven. Um, It's just going to limit because it's not the same player as Kirk Cousins was. Kirk Cousins was still uh, tied for the league lead and completion rate under pressure. Like he was awesome this year. It was honestly his best year ever in Minnesota. That's how good Kirk Cousins was. And so we have to temper our expectations with Dobbs moving forward, not to mention like the over, the throws over the top that Jefferson would receive too. Plus, when Dobbs came in, it was kind of the same thing we saw in Arizona. He targeted Arizona's tight ends at the second highest rate in the league. He came off the bench and he targeted T.G. Hawkinson for a 41% target share because he just passes more shallow. Uh, and that's where Hawkinson is running all his routes. So Jefferson will probably be just fine, but I think we do need to lower his ceiling um, compared to what we perceived it was with Kirk Cousins.
0: John, you're a beauty man in every way. Um, Like I said, it was a blast meeting you in Vegas. It's an honor to have you on this afternoon. You bring the goodness. I could go another hour with you. Uh, You actually have a show, I believe, later this evening. Uh, DFS, why don't you let the people know about that? And anywhere else, uh, they can find you. Obviously, in the X machine, and out there, in four, 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 four.
2: And I always tell the people they should listen to the DFS show Friday, six p.m. Eastern on the four four YouTube. Also, the podcast feed is DFS MVP. Just because the way we break down matchups for DFS also help you with start sit. It's a, I think it's one of the um, the biggest keys of life for everyone. Honestly, is trying to hear the information whatever the information is even if like i watch a lot of cooking shows right and like i try to extrapolate that information into my own career and job in fantasy football like what can i take from this what can i learn from these passionate people and so like by listening to dfs matchups i feel like that can also trickle into betting and start sits cuz i'm just i'm it's all the same work it's just a matter of how i'm communicating that information to you based on what you're trying to get out of it whether it be a start sit or to turn that money around for a weekly roi and betting and player props. So uh, the DFS show, yes, here in about an hour, 6 p.m. Eastern on the 4 YouTube, where I'll be talking about all these plays for this week.
0: What are you cooking these days? What's uh, what's the latest dish that you're Football,
2: football season, it's got to stay consistent because like every hour of my day is mapped out. I, I give myself little <laughs> options like, oh, uh, you can go for a run right now, Tuesday at 4 p.m. or you can take a nap Tuesday at 4 p.m. But uh, I keep everything pretty low key. I, I usually just start like Sunday nights. I'll make an entire pan of pulled chicken. You know, you just sear sear chicken five minutes each each side, chicken stock, herbs, lemon, some peppers to get some spice in there, and then let it simmer for 20 to 25 minutes. Take it out, let it rest a little bit, and then pull it apart. And it can just sit in the juice. And then like for the rest of the week, I can make chicken salad, chicken wraps, (sighs) chicken sandwiches. Um, That's That's one of my big ones. And then I'm a big, I make my own red sauce from scratch. And so like, if I just make a, um, like a a cast iron skillet or a pot of uh, red sauce. I can then stuff in chickpea pasta for like training. I can then put in any kind, anything else. Honestly, I can make like a sausage ragu from it. But if I have the base ready, I can make a meal in 10 to 15 minutes. So I like to also make like a big pot of sauce.
0: That's I'm all about the sauce, dude. That's every Sunday afternoon. That's my that's my deal. I make a, a nice uh, pasta sauce for the girls, and we uh, usually do spaghetti because that's what my seven year old likes.
2: Uh, yeah, I usually keep like the the San Marzano, you know, like the non GMO cans from Italy yes. on, on tap on the shelf because those are the cleanest tomatoes. But if if you just start with that, literally all it takes all I use is garlic, basil, and um, garlic, basil. And olive oil, like that's that's literally yeah. all I yeah, use. Yeah, yeah. And then and then I'll 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 usually I, I'll, in the olive oil before I pour the sauce in the tomatoes in, I will mix in like a couple of chilies, whether it be like a guadalajiro, I'm not pronouncing that correctly, or just like some chili flakes. That way to just give it a little bit of kick before the tomatoes
0: go in. Anthony's saying you need some poutine. Uh, <laughs> actually, before I'm I dead. forget, I I might be meeting Mike Schaub later tonight. He's in town with with the family. I might meet him for a drink. He was saying that if I asked you what drink you think he's ordering tonight, that you would nail it. What drink do you think he's ordering?
2: Uh, Mike will 100% be ordering a dirty martini with tangere stirred, not shaken. I
0: love it. I love it. Because
2: that's what we drink together. So I know for a fact, that's what he's going to order.
0: I love it. I love it. John, this has been a blast, man. Enjoy uh, the rest of your season. Hopefully it, it goes well. And, uh, We're excited to get you back uh, the next time, but thanks for today. We appreciate it. Have a great weekend and guys, we'll check you all later.
1: I'm going